0: The OTV Sports app. Listen to OTV Sports Radio 24-7, plus all your favorite podcasts, including OTV Gold. Are you a complete rookie? The OTV Sports app. Available to download now from your app store. The OTV Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken
1: bites. OTB
0: AM. With Gillette, we don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters.
1: You ain't shit! I wish I
2: was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass.
1: My well, fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the
3: harshest <laughs> critic of her husband. I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life because everything else is pretty crappy.
2: And this is not lies. Stephen Russell has never spoken to Jim in his life.
3: And you're very welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five o'clock. You can text us 53106. Goal is between Aberton and Newcastle at halftime in the Premier League. We're streaming this conversation live as well now. So as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball on YouTube, on Facebook. You can also uh, check out the streams on the OTB Sports app, search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it if you haven't already. This is the Saturday panel. Now all this week and indeed going forward on Off The Ball, we've been conducting a series of interviews on the approach to sport in Ireland, especially when it comes to younger people. We're asking if Ireland is on the right path, in terms of increasing general participation in sport and also producing successful elite athletes. You can get involved online in the engagement around this by using the hashtag OTBFuture. Um, Our series inspired by what's happening in New Zealand where all of the main sporting bodies Rugby, cricket, football, netball and hockey have committed to putting the fun back into youth sport to encourage a quality experience. Less specialisation, raising awareness of burnout, leading when it comes to coaching and mentoring in the right manner. So this week we've heard on the show from the likes of Pat Daly in the GAA on giving every young person a go in a Gaelic game. Niall Moyna was brilliant on fitness with Joe Malloy during the week, essential listening. Uh, Mickey Quinn spoke about the importance of PE in schools. Laura Finnegan and Shane Keegan spoke about it. grassroots football. Stuart Lancaster then joined us as well to speak of the benefits of having multi-sport skills. So to talk more about this, the future of sport, we're joined and delighted to be by Sarah Keane, the President of the Olympic Federation of Ireland and CEO of Swim Ireland. Michael Caruso, the Olympic gold medal winner in 1992 and a boxing development officer, and Antonio Mantero, grassroots football coach and founder of TheCoachDiary.com. Sarah, Michael and Antonio, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank thank you.
3: Looking forward to this, guys. Michael, uh, I think we'll start off with you. Um, The pandemic obviously has put everything on ice, uh, and we just have to wait until hopefully this passes. Um, Your experience uh, since you won that brilliant medal in Barcelona all those years ago, what, 29 years ago now, Michael, you've been coaching kids for uh, a long period of time through uh, your boxing club in Drimina and in schools. Yeah, thanks for reminding me 29 years ago, thank you. Yes, I've been
1: I've been pretty active in relation to, you know, training young kids. Obviously, I got back to boxing really quickly um, after I finished my professional career. My father told me to take a year off and I think I lasted two months and I got back to the club and I've been coaching there ever since. And then uh, a, a position came up in the IBA and the Dublin City Council in relation to doing development um training with young kids in schools and and not just in schools we look after uh kids with you know special needs and, and things like that we bring boxing to the to the community it's not necessarily that you have to to do the program, you have to be a boxer and things like that. It's none of that. We, we bring the boxing and the training uh, methods to the schools, and we hope that it takes that, you know, the kids will eventually join boxing clubs from, and they have. You now it was supposed to be only a three-year contract, and we're on now our 10th year. So we must be doing something right. We're hitting up to over 10,000 kids. And I should rephrase that hitting. We, we, we <laughs> have uh, uh, 10,000 kids on the program at the moment. Um, Obviously, things have gone a little bit sour with COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic that's had to hit us over the last year. But again, the kids are really, very, very, uh, um, you know, they look, they get excited when they know that they're the year beforehand. We we normally work with five, uh, fifth and sixth year, our class in primary, and we we look after uh, transition years in secondary school. So they know when they're a year behind that they're going to get the box in the year uh, again next year that they, they're looking very forward to it.
3: So, Michael, what kind of work are they doing? Is it, um, uh, is it sparring? Is a skipping rope? Is it like the the medicine ball? What, what what do you start them off with? When
1: when it's when it's when we we do a thing called the Startbox program, and the Startbox program is a twelve week program. Uh, we do four weeks of training in the school in the in any of the schools that we go to and it's non-contact that one is okay it's purely non-contact it's skills it's skipping it's shadow boxing it's fun more orientated and things like that that goes on for four weeks now the numbers are, are huge at the start of it because we you know we have to deal with three and four or five classes at a time as well but we have to break the numbers down again we then do a thing that's called the bronze program the, the, the silver program then is broken into another four weeks where we bring them to the local boxing clubs and I have to thank all the local boxing clubs as well for allowing us to use their premises during the day as well. So we're giving them a little bit about what boxing is, because it's you're going from a hall. With no with no equipment to a boxing gym with all the equipment boxing ring boxing bags things like that so we bring them in there and we start doing a little bit of body sparring and contact sparring with that and we try and make matches with this uh, with this program with kids of the same age the same weight and the same ability we give them a we give them a grade they never know what that grade is you know only we know what the grade is so we put them in with someone of the same grade and the same weight category, same age, same height, things like that. And then we bring them to the goal program, which is then held another four weeks in the national stadium, in the gym, in the national stadium. And again, a big thank you to the IABA for helping us do that as well. So with that, we do another four weeks of getting them ready for who they can They're going into competition against one another. Now, same competition. There's no result. There's no winner and there's no loser at the end of it. So after 12 weeks uh, training, they're in the National Stadium uh, competing against other schools. And two hands go up at the same time. And nobody's declared a winner. Both both are declared winners, given their certificates, given their medals. And we hope from then they've got a, a lovely introduction to boxing. That they can go and join boxing clubs from there. Well what happens if if you go into a boxing club and you, and a young kid comes into you and have, the first question is, have you ever boxed before? And they' say no. And all of a sudden, they, you'll put them off of the, the the junior coaches, and you'll get them working. You know exactly what you want them to do. But when you hear that they've done a twelve-week course with this with this start box, well, then they know that they they know exactly what a boxing stance is. They know exactly what a training program uh, consists of. And more importantly, than the biggest thing well, I think is they have the discipline as well for it.
3: Oh, that's great stuff to to know. And uh, so I wouldn't have known that 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 what they. That there's no winner, um, and yeah. it's interesting, Antonio. Well, go on, Uh go they're, on, they're all
1: winners. Yeah, they're all winners. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, no winner and all winner. Um, yeah. uh, I get what you're saying, uh, Antonio. I was watching a video last night of uh, Richard Dunn and Shay Given visiting your football club in Castleknock, Castleknock Celtic. Uh, and I think you've really tried to push a philosophy of fun and enjoyment, like Michael's talking about there. Um, that football, I think, when I think about football at, at the underage level in Ireland, I immediately think about the Kennedy Cup and winning, and competition's very important for a lot of young people. Um, but what you try to do is bring that sense of uh, respect, enjoyment, and, and, and playing the game first, uh, rather than it all being about the result at the end of it.
0: Yeah, I think first and foremost, um we all know why children enter sport and, and you know, in the first instance, it's. My friends and, and obviously to, to improve, children need to improve. And, um, you know, I, I try to instill or, or, or speak about a philosophy where you try to coach with all those things. I believe that you can bring players on and, and but by instilling all those things. But first and foremost, you know, it has to be fun. You know, children, children play sport and they get involved in, in team games um because you know they, they initially started out maybe at the back or with their friends and that was fun then they say you know they see friends you know down in a football club they come and join um and, and they join really because because it's fun for me i see sport first of all as play you know it has to be child-led um you know it's every, outdoors obviously there must be a lot of free play i think if you provide equipment and and you know space and variety and challenges uh, including evading games, you know, have have mixed ages where possible, um, uh, abilities as well. Lots of lots of one v ones, where there's a lot a lot of decision making. Lots of one v twos. For me, is is the key to to kind of developing children through sport uh, and uh, keeping them involved for for as long as possible.
3: And Sarah, when it comes to swimming, uh, we'll talk about the Olympics a little bit later on, and, and the Olympic sports that you're you know you're. Overseen but swimming uh, is the second biggest participatory sport in Ireland Um, and a lot of the time when we think about sport We think about what's on TV and the competitive nature of the six nations or uh, Stephen Kenny's team or the GA championships Uh, But swimming I'm very ashamed to admit. I'm in my 40s. I can't swim Um, I'd like to learn uh, If we're looking at an area where we can have a growth in sport that is both fun and uh, Good for our health swimming is a very good place to start
2: Yes. And one of the interesting uh, pieces about the um, participation research is that actually swimming of every other uh, sport uh, is the one that most people um, come in and out of during their life cycle. So we we try and ensure that children learn swimming as a life skill um, at a young age, because what the research has shown is they'll come back to it at different points of their lives. And obviously you can swim at any age and it's, you know, it's very much equal for both genders and able-bodied or disabled, you know, it's sort of a place for everybody indoors, outdoors. Um, so and for us, what's 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 been good in the last couple of years is when the national sports policy, the first one in over 20 years was published in 2018 uh, and has been backed by the government in Sport Ireland. And it's now um it's currently backed by the new government and Minister Chambers. It has recognized that swimming is one of the 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 as a priority sport on the basis of that, you know, of of the way it's um it's an individual sport, it's a life skill, and the fact that you can take place, uh take part in it at any stage, as I said, during the life cycle. So really what we're about and what the national sports policy will be about is giving opportunities for people to get involved and take it up at any stage. I mean, I remember um, just to make well, it seems like a long time ago now since we were in competition and, and, and I have my swimming competition background here behind me because I, I missed a live sport um, in that sense. But I remember talking to uh, one of the mayors who was, who was watching the swimming and she was just saying, God, I can't swim and I'm, you know, 60 or whatever. And I said, well, you know, you may live till you're 80. So if you learn to swim now, you have 20 years of swimming ahead of you. Um, because as I said, you can swim to any age and we have people even competing in their 90s. So it, like, it is incredible actually um, so you know sometimes uh, it can be a little more challenging if you're older if you have um you know, if you kind of think about the fact that it's a different medium and you have to learn to breathe um in the water in a way that you know it's it's, as I said, it's a that's uh, unique to our sport, which is one of the reasons we do like to encourage that people learn it as young as possible because young children don't don't think about that piece. But you can learn to swim at any stage. It's quite a technical sport. so we do we do um we do advocate for kind of formalized swimming lessons. Um, but because it's an individual sport, um, Uh, you you know everybody gets to participate so I mean we have water polo as one of our other aquatic disciplines so you you do face then the challenges of um, team sport, you know and people getting an opportunity to play during competition and that sort of stuff but you know that's the beauty of swimming is that everybody can participate at any stage of the life cycle
3: and you have now uh, online training for teachers as well
2: yeah, we do. I mean, we we invested heavily um, a couple of years ago um, and it really has served us well now during the pandemic in the last year because we never shut for business. We were even when our pools were closed, we were we were always open for business with an awful lot of online opportunities for both athletes and coaches and our club committees and everybody to stay involved in the sport. Um, But we invested in what we call kind of blended learning at the time, which was because we we were involved in teaching the teachers and teaching the coaches as well. And that meant that you do a certain amount face to face, um, obviously at the swimming pool, which is obviously a necessary part of it, or uh, or indeed uh, in the open water, because we we, we are involved in that coaching and teaching open water as well. And it is a different skill set. Um, to a certain degree. Um, But also then you do a certain amount online and then the other part of blended is you do a certain amount interactively online. So that actually has, we've been able to maintain and continue with that a line of training during the pandemic even when swimming pools are closed and when they open then we get to do more of the practical side so yeah it's it's made a big difference to enable people to do it at different times and stages that suit them and and also means when we get people together then we get people together from all over the country and you get a lot of different perspectives coming from people in different environments whereas if you hold things in certain locations you tend to get people from the similar location. When I think of
3: training, Michael, um, and what Sarah was saying there, and there is a bit of a cliche that you, know, you get the, the very successful boxer saying, well, boxing saved me from uh, maybe a different path in life. Do you do get the sense, though, that boxing is a, is a really good sport uh, for maybe people in socially disadvantaged areas, uh, that they have that outlet uh, that they might not have and has been beneficial to them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, boxing has obviously been known as a as a working man's uh, sport, and I should say working man and woman sport. Um, it, it it's been echoed that year for years, but it's 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 not really. Um, boxing is from all gen from all grades. I, I I believe. Um, it does help a lot of people who are looking down the the wrong barrel of life, you know. So it's um, you know, it gets them off the streets. It gives them a purpose. You know, when people like. Uh, you know, okay, obviously I won my gold medal 29 years ago, but have, we've won so many medals since then again in relation to boxing. You know, kids looking at that on TV, obviously will will get a huge influence to join boxing clubs. Like, Kenneth Egan was looking at me all those years ago um, winning my Olympic gold medal and he became a boxer. So, you know, it wouldn't have happened only for, you know, the likes of that. So it's, it's yeah, it's always deemed, I suppose, a workman person's... Uh, sport but i i de- i beg to differ i think boxing is for anybody who wants who wants
3: it you know so yeah no it's not meant to be exclusive uh no no, no yeah. yeah 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 um uh, the training the trainers uh anthony like uh, is there good uh you know resources for coaches to get the proper training they need in soccer at the moment like we have the fei starting off with the kickstart one and two we've got coaches going right up to the uefa a license um how is that landscape looking at the moment
0: yeah, I think it's vastly improved over the last number of years. Um, there's there's certainly uh, a lot of coaches who are getting more qualified, um, but I, uh, but I think on the grassroots end, probably the ninety nine percent, you know, we certainly need to look at uh, a kind of better coaching structures there. Um, coaches need to develop a better knowledge and in, in terms of why children participate in football. Um, and I think, as a nation as well, you know we need to we need to kind of identify you know what's our DNA as a football nation. how How do we want to play? How do we want to develop players? What kind of players do we want to develop? You know what's our plan? you know what vision, what what's our mission um in terms of our football strategy in terms of developing uh, players for for our national teams? Um, and I, th- I think we've lost our DNA. I, I don't think we have a, a DNA as such. If, if you look at other countries like Spain and Portugal and Belgium, they, they have a clear DNA. Um, and that's something that we that we need to develop. And I think that if everybody knows what the DNA is, then when, when children come and join clubs all across the country you know we're all singing off the same hymn sheet and we're all coaching in, in, in kind of the same the same ethos and, and making sure that players are, are, are getting plenty of touches of the ball and, and, and experiencing different scenarios different situations learning how learning about space uh, learning learning about uh, you know control learning about you know how to defend and just all the aspects of the game but also in a fun, in a fun manner, making sure that it's fun and it's progressive and, uh, you know, players are improving. And and most of all, you know, keeping them in the game for as long as possible. Um, Because we know at the age of 13, although we have probably the highest participants of of any sport in the country, um, and we probably have the highest number of participants ever, we also have one of the highest dropouts. I mean, if you look at a lot of the leagues, uh, structures for instance the ddsl you know at 12 or 13 they've got p- between 13 and 14 divisions but when you get to 14 15 16 there's probably only about seven or eight so there's, there's a huge amount of dropout and, and we need to figure out why you know where are these kids going and, and, and why are we losing them to to either tell the sports or you know you know they're probably just giving up all together um, is, is,
3: is that antonio because it's too competitive that there's too much of a focus on winning um i see like these elite leagues for under 13s 15s 17s are these elite leagues healthy, in your view, the specialisation that's so early uh, for a young person?
0: No, I, I don't think they are. I mean, you know, all the research suggests that, you know, children should be sampling in, in a variety of sports to develop a, an all-round um, better understanding of, of, of game and space and that. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, a lot of the kids when they come into football now, I mean, it's getting younger and younger. It's, you know, some of them are coming in at two and a half and three years of age. Um, you know when those kids should really just be down in the playground or playing out in at the, the back garden or down in the forest, um, and then when they come through that academy process, you know at the age of six, then they're being graded. You know, so already by the age of six they're being graded. I mean, you know, and put into to A, B, and C, A, B, and C teams. Um, they disguise them by red, blue, and, and green, um, but we all know that it's it's it is a way of 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 um, of labeling the kids. You know, and it, and really at that age it's it's not it's not Technical talent, it's more physical talent. So you know we're we're we're, we're segregating them on physical talent, and uh, you know kids will develop from six months to six months. They change so much. You know personally for me, I think we should have we should have mixed ability all the way up until under twelve, and we shouldn't really be grading kids until till about thirteen or fourteen. There's plenty of time, and the best will always come true in the end. But you know our priority should be to keep kids playing as much sport for as long as possible. And um, you know we are a multi-sport nation. I think more so than a lot of nations our size, you know, we've, we we produce good swimmers, boxers, you know, uh, in athletics, we play rugby, we've got obviously GA and hurling, uh, you know, we've got football, we've got basketball, so we've got a lot of sports here and we are a multi-sport nation. I think as a nation, we also need to develop our DNA and make sure, like New Zealand are doing, where everybody understands that, you know, having kids playing multi sports is, is, is the be- is the best thing for them
3: and it's it's you know, it's 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 what's gonna develop them and keep them involved in sport for, for much longer. Yeah, we're chatting to Sarah Keane, um, Michael Cruz, and Antonio Montero, on this week's Saturday panel. Listeners or viewers, do you have any questions for the panel? Would you like to share your experiences as a participant, as a coach, as a parent, as a teacher, as a young sports person in Ireland? How different should the experience be for anyone getting involved in Irish sport in the future at any level, especially our younger people? 53106, getting a few comments in here already. Lads, learned to swim when I was five with my school class back in home in Poland, where we were told that it's good for us. Even back then in 1990, that is from Lucas. Why does soccer stream kids from age or eight to nine? Spit up friends, drop kids, generally take the fun out of the game. My son does rugby, GA, soccer, and soccer is the only one that takes itself too seriously. That is from Niall in Dublin on 53106. Um, It was interesting uh, what Niall Moyna was saying uh, during the week, Sarah, about, uh, and Antonio was uh, touching upon it there on dropout. Um, Niall was brilliant, touching upon the challenge that girls in their teens might have uh, to remain engaged in physical activity, PA, Physical education might not always appeal, and teenage girls more three times more likely to drop out of sport than boys. So the type of sport, the mentoring of sport is important. Obviously, the twenty by twenty campaign helps with awareness of of of, of young girls and women's playing sport. But in your view, how do we keep more girls playing sport and make it fun?
2: Well, I uh, I sit on the Sport Ireland Women in Sport Steering Committee, who are who are looking at this topic, and um, you know it's looked at across. You know, participation, coaching, officiating, um, and also profiling, which is which is part of what you know what what you guys do. Um, and one of the at the moment, there's a specific piece of research being done in relation to teenage girls. But what I think is the fundamentally important part of that research is it's it's directly being done with teenage girls. It's asking them what they want, what they perceive as their barriers and what they perceive as their challenges, etc. And um, the, the final piece of the research, we haven't got back yet, but what is coming from it at the moment is indicating that they want to try new things. The traditional kind of uh, sports that are open to them are not necessarily what they want to do. They are very interested in outdoor sports. Um, they're actually uh, perhaps more interested in adventure sports than people might have considered. You know, I think this sort of, uh, you know, op- Sports being open to everybody, regardless of your gender, really is coming to the fore here and not presuming that a certain sport is related to a certain gender, which I think is certainly was the case when I was growing up. Um, I suppose for for me in swimming, uh, boys and girls, you know, parents, if they are interested in bringing their children to swim, they don't differentiate between them. So and and girls and boys train and do everything together. And I think that makes a difference. But one of the things I was shocked about a couple of years ago, I was um, I was at the National Aquatic Centre myself uh, just going to do um, my own swim and uh, I saw a group of girls in the change room and they all had t-shirts on and I said to myself oh perhaps they're going in to do water safety so I actually just I don't know what what was why why that day I approached them but I just said oh you know are you going, guys going into water safety you've got t-shirts on are you kind of practicing maybe being dressed and pulling someone out of the water or something and they said no no we're actually here with um with the school and um, the boys are there as well so we're just going to wear our t-shirts over our swimming togs now going into the pool with a t-shirt on makes it much harder to swim <laughs> because it drags you down in the water when you're wearing a t-shirt. So they were straight away at, at that disadvantage, but obviously they were they, you know they they had issues around their physical appearances um, uh, at that age. So I think there are definitely um, things that are specific to women and females only, and that we, that's why I think the, the research specifically done uh, with teenage, with teenage girls is very important. One of the other things I, I we found that's very important and Swim Ireland um, partnered up with Jigsaw last year in relation to our coaching programs is that um, mental health is, is is playing a big piece in relation to young people now. And so, co- you know, coaches being able to recognize challenges young people are facing in that regard is, I think, an important piece as well to helping them and trying to keep them in sport. And the other big thing that comes back as well, and it's not just from, from females, though it is a lot, a lot from females, is looking for more female coaches. And certainly within Olympic sport, but I think it's true generally across all the, the numbers. The uh, one of the lowest levels of, of um, uh, females we have in terms of like the participation levels have improved. In um, administration, the levels are improving, but they're still not as improving at the rate they should in either officiating or coaching. Um, and I think females do want to see want to feel that there are there they have an opportunity to have a female coach as well. So I think we're getting a better handle. On the things we need to look at in terms of of keeping girls involved, but for me, this piece of research, uh, when it's launched, would be particularly interesting in terms of trying to then put in place specific initiatives and programs that that were being told our girls want. I mean, for me, um, I I was uh, naturally sporty and I, and I absolutely love sport. Every sport, and I echo um, what's been said here today about just keep you know it shouldn't be about any specific sport. It should be about giving a child an opportunity and a young person and an older person an opportunity just to participate in whatever they want to do. And I think that's vitally important. But I suppose the other side of it is that recognizing too, that in the, any of the research that has been done, there are specific sports that that girls um and uh, and uh, are in particular are saying they're more interested in. so whilst whilst I feel every girl should have an opportunity to play rugby if they want to play it or something like that, it's not one that would come up high in terms of what the girls are saying. It comes up more around swimming, dance. Um, and even now, as I said, some more of the outdoor sports. So I think it's really important to listen to what our young people are telling us in order to help them um, retain them in the sport they've started in or get them into another sport.
3: OK, we've got to take a break. Uh, back after the news with more chat from uh, Sarah Keane, Michael Carruth and Antonio. Montero listeners or viewers out there uh, do you any questions for our guests or comments uh, of your own about the future of Irish sports 53106 that is the text number you can reach us on twitter at off the ball just let you know about the Premier League uh, Everton nil and Newcastle nil that is a score in the second half of that game Seamus Coleman started for Everton today with Jeff Hendrick uh, starting for Newcastle so plenty to talk about as well the Olympics in Tokyo what's the situation there and like the side on sideline which Antonio Montero has been talking about about how we coach kids in young football back after this the Saturday panel on Off The Ball. This is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until 5 o'clock. You can text us 53106 or tweet us at Off The Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel talking about the future of Irish sport with Sarah Keane, the President of the Olympic Federation of Ireland and the CEO of Swim Ireland, Michael Carruth, the Olympic gold medalist, boxer, in 1992 boxing development coach and uh, Antonio Montero, a grassroots football coach and founder of thecoachdiary.com. All this week indeed going forward and Off The Ball, we've been conducting a series of interviews and panels on the approach to youth sport in Ireland. We're asking if Ireland is on the right path in terms of increasing general participation in sport and also producing uh, successful elite athletes. You can get involved online in the engagement around this by using the hashtag OTB future we're also streaming the conversation as well so as well as listening on news talk you can watch us on the social channels for Periscope and Twitter at off the ball on YouTube on Facebook we're also streaming on the OTB sports app just to get you some text. that so we come in in here on 53106 um, my son completed the start boxing program in primary school nine years ago. He's 20 years old now and still loves the sport. The discipline and commitment that comes with boxing has really helped him during his exams and now in university. Uh, I constantly bring attention to the cost of sport. The average cost of a soccer club for one child over 10 is 350 to 400 euro. If you want kids to try or play lots of sports, it's costs that prohibit. There is no state-funded multi-sport clubs. Uh, Sarah Keane, just on the issue of funding, um, like uh, Shane Hannon, our producer, was uh, pointing out to me that Ken Doherty was a world snooker champion in the 80s. You have all these snooker halls, and now uh, they're, they're disappearing. Um, the funding for what we describe as the minority sports, like a lot of the focus goes on soccer, GA, rugby. Uh, but I was looking at uh, the OFI website, uh, there was 37 sports from archery to wrestling under the umbrella. Um, how do these minority sports get supported so we can have stories like the O'Donovans. Like imagine the O'Donovans hadn't qualified for the Olympic Games. Uh, the crack, the joy they gave us, the silver medal performances. We never would have heard of them. Jack Woody was on the show three weeks ago. He's going to the Olympics, hopefully, uh, in Taekwondo. has got a chance for a medal. How do we get more support for these minority sports?
2: Well, that's the power of the Olympics, isn't it? And an opportunity for for these athletes to show what they do. Um, But for us, one of the things we're trying to do as part of the Olympic Federation is just to show that it's not something that comes around in terms of the summer games once every four years. And in terms of the winter games, um, also once every four years, but in the different year, that there are lots of different events across the pathway that we'd like to see. So athletes can be supported on the whole journey of their careers and not just perhaps when they reach the pinnacle, which for many the Olympic Games is in terms of the funding question, it's quite a complex question. Uh, that's why I go back to the national sports policy. And obviously, a lot of people don't want to be thinking and talking about policy. But funding has a lot to do with policy. And the this national sports policy, why it's so important in my view, apart from the fact that it's the first one in 20 years, is because it's now talking about directing the funding in the way the policy is indicating, which is about the sports that people feel people can do across the life cycle, which is uh, hugely about participation and also separately then about performance. Also hugely about the harder to reach groups um, and and those um, who, uh, for whatever reason, um, struggle uh, to get access to sports. So I think the 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 action plan. It's a nine-year policy. The action plan for the first three years is about to be launched by the minister, Minister Chambers, this year. So I think that will be very uh, interesting to, to look at. And I'm part of a leadership group who, who's involved in that in terms of where do people and sports get their funding from generally well it's a mixture of things so the bigger sports and you know that would include would include swimming to a certain degree and athletics and other sports as well i mean we do bring in commercial revenue um and events uh, income and program income and things like that So Mario at this stage would bring in 50 percent of its own income whereas years ago that would have been very different um but obviously some of the bigger sports then would bring in you know much higher amounts in terms of um from you know from their events and um, then uh, there are sports that get uh, some of the some of the governing bodies get quite a substantial income from their international federations. Um, a lot of us, us uh, are dependent on a lot of, of funding we get from Sport Ireland and the government. And then the Olympic Federation now has, as part of its strategic plan, indicated that it wants to be putting into the system as opposed to taking out the system and becoming more financially independent is one of our main strategic goals for the organization in our strategy, which is up till 2024. So over the last two years, we've we've put a half a million um, into our governing bodies in terms of uh, c- across the governing body sector, uh, obviously the Olympic sports in terms of different programmes um, um, to support what they're doing. Because different sports are at different stages as well. Some are trying to qualify for the Games, have never been there, never never participated on an Irish team, despite the fact that their sport is, is a sport at the Games. Others are at a stage where they're they're looking to medal um, and, and others are looking to do it more consistently, you know, medals previously, but looking to ensure this consistency of performance. And then others then are looking to build their teams and um, reach reach next stages up in terms of finals and semi-finals. Um, and obviously, we all also are trying to ensure that we have a team that uh, represents um, our society properly. So that means it's a team that that represents both genders. Um, it's a, and that's not just in terms of the actual athletes, but also in terms of the 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 chef' commission and the coaches and the performance directors and and, and the rest of the team. So, I, I think for me. I think we're coming into an incredibly interesting um, eight to 10 years in Irish sport and in Irish Olympic sport. Um, I think there's an awful lot of opportunity, despite the challenges that we faced over the last year. And I, I also think um, that, uh, um, that I think a lot of the, what would see, be seen traditionally as the three big sports in terms of rugby, football and and uh, GAA. And, you know, I, as I said, I support all sports. Um, but as I said, there are a lot of other sports like swimming others who actually are, are higher in, in participation, personal exercise in gyms in terms of adults as well, that I think sometimes just isn't focused on. And I think that'll be an important part as we go forward, too. And recognising that ultimately for us all we just need to see where we can give people an opportunity uh, to participate that's really what the policy and generally what we're trying to do is give people an opportunity to participate and one of the other things the olympic federation is trying to do is is for people to understand that the olympics is not just about medals um for a lot of for those who have the ability and the drive and the determination uh, and the talent to get there where you want to make sure that they, they get the, the opportunity to do that and you know, to give them the right environment, but you also want it to be about the experience and recognizing that one of the reasons we advocate for sport is because the characteristics people build um, you know, they, they, learn, they learn they learn resilience, which, as we all know, is very important for us at this time. They learn teamwork. They learn discipline. They learn a lot of things about how you manage themselves from a life perspective. And I think that's so the, that whole experience is, 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 I think, absolutely crucial. I think we just need to keep focused on that. And therefore, one of the things we've been trying to do as the OFI is um, put out our, our program to schools whereby the athletes talk about their journey in terms of the Olympics, but they talk about the Olympic values. And what they got out of sport, not just in terms of the competition side. So I think that that's a really important message. Yeah,
3: I'm going to bring Michael Caruth in here because um, oh, we did the Dublin Mount Rushmore, Michael, and you were on it. Member Brian Kerr voting for you because you're such a role model for for people when you won that gold. Like, there's only what Ronnie Delaney, Bob Tisdall, O Callahan. Uh, Katie Taylor like on the fingers of one hand Um, like Sarah like role models in sport like did you see an uptake in participation in rowing or when Annalise Murphy won that medal in in sailing or boxing when Katie Taylor won is there actually a tangible difference when people win
2: my understanding from all the different sports um, is that that's the case but the challenge is then if the, if the governing body isn't ready to provide the opportunities, so, for example, if somebody goes to the Games and there's a great performance and perhaps it wasn't anticipated, and then everybody then clamouring to get involved in the sport, but sometimes there aren't the actual opportunities to do it then because it hasn't been maybe considered in advance or prepared for, or they don't have the resources to do it. So I think that's been part of the challenge. And one of the things we're looking for is more consistent performances across our sports at Olympic Games and that piece around, well, let's prepare for... Um, To have those opportunities ready for young people to get involved then on the back of seeing these great performances and getting inspired by people and i think that's something people forget about and then the other side of it is what is participation like how do you define participation is it once off so do you create an opportunity and people go once or they do a 10-week program and then they stop or like is part you know, so from a health perspective, you have to be participating um, from a, if you're a young person, you have to participate participating 30 minutes every day to get any health benefits. If you're an adult, it's, it's, it's 60 minutes a couple of times a week. So I think there's a wider piece around that as well. Like what you know, we want, we don't just want participation. We want sustained participation across Irish sport. Um, and that's why it's important that, you know, people can change and do different sports across their lives, but they're still doing something in terms of sport or physical activity. Um, Michael, uh, Lauren Kelly,
3: who's a Youth Olympic boxer and European medalist, uh, has spoken about having to give up her social life to compete in boxing. Is that off-putting for young people in sport? Do you think some people might feel that they might lose the social element? Like you were an individual, it's an individual sport. You went to Seoul, you went to Barcelona. How did you keep the tunnel vision and the focus? Is it the competitive nature of it?
1: Yes, it has to be. I, um, you know, you have to make sacrifices. Every every athlete has to make sacrifices, and uh, no matter what sport you're involved in. Um, I was a, I'm a, a, a triplet uh, to two of our brothers, Martin and William, and uh, you know it was hard. Like 18 years old, I was sitting in and watching the late late show with my my mother and father, and they were going out uh, dancing and nightclubbing and things like that. But I had a purpose and I had a goal of myself that I set for myself, that I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. I got there eventually in 1988, and I made a, a, a total it uh, I got beaten in my second fight. But I learned from it, and it was a huge learning curve that brought me to Barcelona. And four years later, four years wiser, four years stronger, four years a little bit more you know, in depth to what I wanted to do. Um, fortunately enough, as well, my father was one of the coaches in the, on the Olympic team as well, uh, which is a huge help to me in, in Barcelona. And, and obviously we had Nicholas Cruz uh, from from Cuba, uh, one of our other coaches as well, head coach, believe it or not, uh, in the Irish team at going against Cuba. So it was one of those types of things that you, you know, I strive to be, I wanted to be a medalist at the Olympic Games. That that was it, you know, that was always my goal, you know. And, um, you know, other people can set different targets for themselves. So I, I, I set a big one you know i went and got it i was delighted with myself you know i wouldn't have done it without the, my family during the boxing club and more importantly my, my late father austin uh, who was the huge influence in my life so it was one of those type of things that's you know i i I fulfilled my dream, and that was it. So, and what I do now is that I'm trying to fulfil dreams for other people as well. Yeah. You don't have to join, join the Boxing Club to become the, and become an Olympic gold medalist. That's not what we were about. You don't have to set to, to do this stat box program with us in the schools. What we're looking for is to bring more fitness and healthy to kids in this country. We well we work only in Dublin uh, to the Dublin City Council then. They sponsor our, our program, so we've we've five development officers: Ushin uh, Fagan, Paul Quinn, uh, Noel Bork and Ed Griffin, and myself, and we work together, the five of us, on the five uh, districts of Dublin. So you know we are looking for you know kids to you know to join boxing clubs, to you know to have that same dream and that same goal that I had and other boxers had as well. Let's be honest, as well, dude, like. Female boxing in, in Ireland now is huge. It's absolutely huge. And and well done to Katie Taylor, by the way, the other night getting Sports Person of the, uh, the Year again. Uh, fantastic achievement there. And that's only going to encourage young girls as well, not just to take up boxing, to take up good as, other sports as well. Yeah. And, you know, if Katie can do it, if Michael can do it, it can be done, and it's it's one of those types of things. Uh, she's been a huge role model for our girls over the last 10, 15 years, Katie has, and still doing it, you know. I do believe our boxing, you know, if we, if Tokyo goes ahead, and, and I'm one of these, I'm pessimistic, I, I'm one of these guys, I, I feel that it will go on, and I'm hoping it'll go on. And um, I'm hoping that we'll qualify a few more boxers. We've only have one qualified at the moment, uh, in Brendan Irvine. And the only reason why was the the competition that it was happening last April and it got stopped straight away uh, with the the pandemic. So we got one box qualified. But, you know, I I really believe that our girl team is probably stronger than our boy team because we've got a lot of good girls on the team. We've got girls who have been there, you know, they've competed in world. European Championships. They've, they, you know, they've, they've got the the backbone of what they need. You know, you, get, you got Kelly, who was obviously Kelly Harrington, who and who's the our world champion. Uh, she's she's won everything, but an Olympic medal. She hasn't got to the Olympics yet, so we'll uh, we're hoping that she can qualify in London in a few weeks' time. I think it's going to happen in April, uh, and if it does, you know, even better again for young girls looking at the likes of these girls, what what they're coming from and and what they've achieved, and we don't all have to be olympic medalists we don't all have to be winners you know sport is the thing that we all have to be take part of that's one part of your life if you have a sport and like uh, sarah just said there you know get out and do 30 40 minutes a day or a week or whatever you need to do to get yourself fit you know or not even fit go for a walk i'm 53 years old i train today in in, in my own boxing club down drimla i I've started walking for the first time in my life. My wife, my wife calls me a lazy walker. I don't know what that means. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but uh, I've started walking again, and believe it or not, I walk on my own now. And it's it's actually great that you know you you're just out walking, and you know you're saying a to people and seeing people. But not only that, you know you're being you're keeping yourself active, and that's what we do. You know, as I say. You know, when we start the box again you now in a couple of weeks' time with the, with the schools, we are hoping that they're going to reopen. If they don't, we're, we're actually setting up a video now of we're doing classes. We're going to send it out to all our schools, and we're going to send out, you know, online what the kids should do. We're going to ask the school then to to uh, correspond with the, with the kids and, and do the, the, the program with us. So they'll have an idea, and we're giving them, you know, firsthand. hand uh, yeah information of what boxing's about and this is this is happening And like it's lovely to hear the amount of sports that's going on in ireland at the moment when you when you look at it and and they just said it there a few minutes ago like i think i I counted around 14 sports that are gone it's not just the big ones that are always getting the 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 the, the say i suppose or the you know the, the the acknowledgments you know it's great to see other sports coming through as well and you know and that that'll only happen from grassroots. Okay. You know, and that's the way it works. From grassroots things will happen.
3: Um just uh Antonio, um this is a very interesting uh element to learning sport is behaviors and behaviors of coaches and mentors and and teachers and uh Castanoc Celtic. You established a concept called the side on sideline. Give us a sense of it if you can.
0: Yeah, so um it which is a concept that I came up with a, a number of years ago. Um I suppose after coaching and and witnessing some of the behaviours from some of the coaches on the sideline, I felt that, you know, we really needed to to provide better information and uh, better coaching knowledge on uh, how to behave on the sideline. And I think that, you know, the very best coaches are the ones that stand back away from the action, uh, observe what's going on, and then, you know, either after the game or before the game or a half-time or a period when the game is stopped, they're they're able to provide little nuggets of information to their players. And, you know, lots of research has, has suggested that you know children make many conscious decisions um, per second in in a game. I think there's over a thousand decisions made in, made in a full in a full game. So all this sideline information is actually preventing children from making the decision that they have in their mind uh, and to correct the decision. You know, I think if you're when you're standing in the middle of a pitch, um, you know, the picture that a child sees versus the picture that you see from the sideline is a, is a completely different picture. Um so the decision that they're about to make will not be the same decision that, you know, that you see. Um, and sideline, sideline, just, um, silent, sideline, sorry, just prevents, uh, you know, coaches and parents from, from over instructing from the sideline and passing on t- too much information. So it, it just allows the kids to, to play, to go from mistake to mistake without actually realizing that they've made a mistake. Um, and uh, it just allows the game to flow more also. It you know it builds their confidence and 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 helps with their with your self esteem because they're not being corrected or being told about the mistake that they've just just
3: made. Yeah, five three one zero six uh, tweet in here. Totally agree with silent sidelines. Too many parents who think they know better and are armchair coaches. Let the coaches do their role. I've heard dads and mums trying to coach from the side and roaring at their kids to their embarrassment. I always think of that phrase, get stuck in. Uh, from the sideline you'd be hearing it Antonio. Um, Have you had butted heads with parents at times uh, over this? Uh, Is it a case sometimes you'd feel that a a kid might be brilliant on a Tuesday or a Thursday in training but then doesn't deliver on the on the weekend because of the pressure?
0: Yeah, I, I think whatever culture as a coach that, that you adapt or whatever philosophy that you have, that, that it's important to, 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 to vocalise that and, uh, you know, let the parents know about it um, from day one. So at the start of the season, you know, you let the parents know what kind of philosophy and culture that you want um, from, from the parents and uh, it, that you, that you instil from yourself. I think you know it's important that parents are there you know parents are are, are are the primary you know people in the child's life so it's important that they are there supporting the child but it's also important that they allow children to to enjoy their sport and not constantly be you know hovering over their head like a helicopter parent and, and telling them telling them what to do and, and and really again it's just it's just knowledge you know and it's just education for a lot of parents you know a lot of parents probably haven't played sport before yet nearly you know most children are involved in sports so again it's just it's just Educating the parents, and letting them know that this is a better way. It's a better way for, for the children and it's a better way for them as well. They'll enjoy the game much more uh, and the child will enjoy the game much more. So so all around, everybody wins and the coach obviously will will prefer that parents aren't instructing and constantly giving, giving information because it's, it's probably not going to be the same information that you've given to your players.
3: Yeah, 53106 here, the Icelandic Leisure Card is a funding system introduced by the Icelandic government, uh, funding available for kids aged 6 to 19 across all recreational activity and sports across society. Uh, text texture on 53106, delighted that about 75% of my rock climbing customers in Kerry Uh, in 2020 were female my colleagues female I think having a female rock climbing instructor as a positive female role model is influential encouraging females young girls and women into rock climbing that is from Andrew and Kerry Uh, some might disagree with this tweet from Darren Garrity Uh, the elephant in the room that prevents us from having more elite or world-class sports people is the GAA plenty of talented athletes are wasted on their parochial sports Uh, in the UK every borough has got a multi-purpose sports centre catering for all sports in Ireland every sport is stand alone and this causes competition for finance and participants and the scholar of sports on Twitter from grassroots to elite level too many coaches think it's all about them in the words of coach uh, Liam Moggan let them play and you can listen back to Liam Moggan he was on AM uh, yesterday and before we kind of wrap up our kind of thoughts about um, what we'd like to see reimagined in the future of sport, I suppose the elephant in the room Sarah Keane uh, at the moment is the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Uh, Richard Lloyd Parry is a respected columnist for the London Times. Now, he reported in an article that the Olympics is doomed effectively. Based on his sources in the Japanese government, the Japanese International Olympic Committee coming out against that report very, very strongly. <coughs> uh, the head of the Tokyo Organising Committee, Yoshiro Mori, conceded spectators may not be able to attend. Japanese opinion polls suggest 80% of the locals don't want this. The cost at least 18 billion pounds for Japan a state of emergency in Tokyo, people advised to stay at home. Are we going to have 11,000 athletes descending on a congested Tokyo, which has 35 million people in the summer, where there could be the risk of a super spreader event, and then another 4,000 for the Paralympics, some competitors may have at the Paralympics underlying health conditions. When I look at all these numbers and I think about all these numbers, Sarah, and I even see the controversy around the Australian Open and the complexity of this, I can't see the Olympics happening. Are you more optimistic? Can you see it happening?
2: Uh, yeah, I actually am quite optimistic indeed about it happening. Uh, if you don't mind, I ju- can I just go back to one point that was yeah, made sure. there in terms of, of young people? Um, uh, and I just think it's vitally important in terms of this approach you're speaking about about to uh, to our sports system here. Um, so we run an aquatic parents program, which is about exploring the role of the parent versus the role of the coach versus the role of of, of, any of, of others involved around the children. And I think it goes back to that piece of education. Um, So that everybody understands they have a role. The child needs everybody involved to help them get involved in sports and keep involved. But everybody has a specific role. So I think education is really important here. And regardless of what age the athlete is or what level they're involved at, whether that is our elite athletes or our our, our younger people getting at the start or those who are doing it for for, um, recreational, more recreational purposes and competitive purposes, it is about person first and athlete second. And that is one of the things that we're very strong on in terms of the Olympic Federation and the Olympic movement, that you're not just defined by your sport, that you uh, that, you know, you see yourself as a person and you have other things in your life that you just don't see yourself as a boxer or a swimmer or or whatever. Um, And I think so. That's one of the big important pieces in terms of our elite athletes that we look after their welfare off the pitch or out of the pool, and when they, when they finish competing, that we can consider that as well. And I'm not convinced that we've done that as well in the past, as hopefully we're going to do now as we move forward. To go to your question, I'm very convinced that the Olympic Games is going to go ahead. I do not think it will be an Olympic Games like one we've ever seen before. Um, the news out again this morning is that um, the athletes will be very uh, restricted in their movements. They will be in the Olympic Village, and they will go from the Olympic Village to their competitive arenas and back They will all be leaving within 48 hours of competition. That's been recommended by the IOC and the Olympic Federation has already made a decision to to agree with that. And we have obviously done that after consultation with performance directors and governing bodies, etc. So all our athletes will go out within 48 hours of competing. So it's going to be a completely different experience. There's not going to be um, Team Ireland able to go and support other athletes after you've finished competing yourself. There's not going to be able to go out and explore Tokyo, downtown and maybe other areas in Japan. That's not going to be the case. Um, We aren't going to see the same level of people involved and people around like we we had been in discussions and kind of done a deal around a hospitality house uh, in Tokyo where family and fans and athletes and everybody could come together to to celebrate the games and the events. Um, I can't see that happening at this point. So I I, I am confident that the Games will go ahead, that all the signs are that they will go ahead. There's certainly no suggestion of anything else at this point, either informally behind the radar or publicly. And we were on a call myself and Peter Sherrard, the CEO of the Olympic Federation, were on a call only a week ago with Thomas Back, the president himself. And our chef de mission, Tricia and Peter um, and others on the team, have been involved in lots of different calls over the last while. We expect to see what they're calling a playbook issued in the next couple of weeks, which gets into the real detail of how all this is going to happen in terms of testing and retesting. But our understanding is that um, um, there will be a quarantine period before people go in. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. And there will be continuous testing once you're inside the village for the athletes continuous and for anybody involved in that as well. Um, Vaccinated are highly recommended. um, In fact, the IOC are going to support Um, paying for some of those vaccinations, if that will help. But obviously, uh, it's to be done in relation to what each individual government and nation are doing themselves. And there's no suggestion of leapfrogging athletes over other more vulnerable groups. But certainly, we are absolutely full-on preparing for the Games. And we believe that's the right thing to do to support uh, support not just the athletes, but obviously everybody else involved. I think the biggest challenge right now, because the the Olympic Games is still six months away, um, and there's a lot that's going to happen in six months with a view to what's happening with this pandemic. The big issue at the moment is qualification. I mean, as Michael yeah. indicated, we have we have we have a lot of talented athletes who have huge Olympic potential who haven't had a qualification opportunity yet, and that's really our big concern right now. And interfa- international federations, governing bodies, the Olympic um, Olympic National Olympic Committees are all working very together very closely. But that's a moving target. Um, you know, some events have been set, and then they maybe have to change a venue um, or a nation because things are bad in that particular nation, or else they have to be pushed back. So the qualification window in my view is gonna be different and that will suit different athletes better, uh, differently. Some that may suit better and others it won't. Uh, it'll it'll be very challenging. I actually think the games itself could be very different. We don't know necessarily what's happening with some doping systems, which might be a little bit of a concern for some of us who have a very, like Ireland has a very robust um, anti-doping program and um, and we live to that very much so. Um, then we also, you know, there, there may be that there that there might be the same depth potentially of athletes, depending on the qualification opportunities, as I said, maybe less. So I think that's really what athletes are most focused on and, and governing bodies and teams are most focused on at the moment is trying to get people prepared and ready for competition and then hoping that that competition is available to them. But in terms of the wider piece, it's like the Olympic Games is a massive machine. Um, the, the, the IOC have been working with the WHO, the World Health Organization, since the beginning of this. Um, so, and I've been very transparent in um, in terms of of what's going on, even though there's so much to be considered. But yeah, at this stage, we would be pretty confident that the games will go ahead um, okay. later this year, and I think that's the way we have to focus on, and work on that basis. Well, for
3: the mental health of the athletes uh, who've been preparing now, what five years? Some of them for this, uh, Sarah. Uh, so, will you be guided by the Irish government on the issue of vaccines?
2: Yes, we will. I mean, I I, I think uh, we've we've already. Um, Survey the athletes as to uh, in in terms of uh, getting their opinions as to whether they'd be willing to get vaccinated. Um, at the moment, in over ninety percent of the athletes um, have indicated they would, and I think the remaining ten percent it's more that they just need more information, want to consider it further, rather than saying that they won't. So that's really positive from our perspective. Um, and again, we uh, you know we'll see where we go over the next uh, couple of months. Um, but certainly, uh, I mean, the IOC have not said people have to be vaccinated. By the way, so if uh, if someone chooses not to be vaccinated, that doesn't put them out of the games either. Um, though they obviously will have to agree to to the to the regimes around testing and that. Um, but one of the things that we, we, we do need to get them further information on as well um, is there is going to be a fitness to compete piece, which will be decided by the IOC. We as NOCs won't have a decision in that. And so if something happens at the event and, you know, somebody tests positive or something happens, it is probably going to be largely out of our hands as to whether that athlete is going to be allowed to compete or not. So there's a lot of other things to be worked out over the next couple of months that we need to speak um, to the athletes and the performance, you know, the performance teams in general about and and, and get everybody comfortable around this. Because we want have successful uh, Olympic Games and we, when you define successful, you include safe in that. But can I just also say what most people don't realize is we also have a Winter Olympic Games in Beijing that is due to take place six months after yeah, in China, the Summer yeah. Games in Tokyo, and we're in the middle of the Paris cycle, so there's just a huge amount going on, and I we we would have a concern as well about some of our younger uh, athletes who are not actually maybe able to avail at this point of the elite exemption, and who you know whose who's ex- whose exposure and their potential development is being impacted upon. So there's a lot going on, and I mean, look, it's it, look. It, It's great to be living through some of this in some ways, despite how challenging it is. Um, And I do believe that opportunity uh, comes in the middle of crisis as well. And I think we just have to try and put our our best foot forward. But I've been so impressed by Irish athletes um, and how they've behaved and held themselves over the last number of months.
3: We have to go very, very shortly, Sarah, Michael and um, uh, Antonio. Just uh, as Sarah just said, there, Antonio, a crisis does present an opportunity. A pandemic gives us an opportunity to reimagine the way we look at the future of sport. Um, what would you like to see differently in terms of soccer uh, going forward when we come out of this? In terms of the future of our sport, very briefly. Um, I think I'd like to
0: see probably less less of the less win at all costs kind of mentality at the youngest ages, um, and certainly more mixed mixed abilities children playing with their friends and not being you know separated from from such a young age. Um, I think also the multi-sport culture um, needs to be really um, kind of pushed and and everybody needs to understand that that Ireland is a a multi-sport culture and that the benefits are huge for for the individuals that play. Um, So that cross collaboration between codes is is vital. Um, And I think in terms of football, we we need a plan, we need a vision. Um, we need need our mission and we need to understand what our DNA is going forward. Ireland needs to develop a football DNA like Belgium has, like Spain has, like like, uh, Portugal has, Um, you know, and I think then, you know, when everybody knows what the DNA is um, and we're all all singing off the same hymn sheet, I think then, uh, you know, it's going to improve the game vastly and uh, it will also keep kids involved in sport
3: and involved in the game for much longer. And Michael, how would you like to see sport in any way reimagined differently after this uh, wretched pandemic ends for you? Well, again, it's
1: sport is, is you know, it's it's take for 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 you. It's, it's a it's a it's a mechanism to, you know, to keeping people, you know, not just physically fit, mentally fit. And, you know, it's you know, I got into sport because it was it was one of those things we were we were brought up in the 70s and we had a collage of sports. We were GAA, we were soccer, we played, we played table tennis, we done boxing, you know, and eventually you get, you have to pick one and mine was boxing. I'd like to think I picked the right one. Um, so with that, you know, sport is fun and that's what the way we should always look at sport. You know, we should look at it that, okay, we have good days and we have bad days but you'd, I'd like to think that, you know, always think more of the good days you have in sport rather than the bad days, you know, and, you know, just as you say, dust yourself off, pick yourself yeah. up, and keep going again. And that's what it's about. And that's what we have to do. We have to do for the last twelve months now in this country and and in the world. We have to dust ourselves down a few times. But that's what that's what we're about. You know, we're, we're Irish. We're we're the fighting Irish. You know, so we'll we'll keep we'll keep our heads down and our, our guard up. And hopefully everybody will stay safe. I'm hoping that the Olympic Games will go ahead. And you know, it's it's the biggest and best event by none. And it, it would okay. be
3: absolutely tragic if it doesn't go on. Michael Carruth, Olympic champion, uh, Antonio Montero, football coach, and OFI president, Sarah Keane. We've got to leave it there. You've been so generous to give your time today to speak about the future of sport on this Saturday panel. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work.
2: Thanks very much, Thanks. John. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks,
3: John. If you want to check out the other brilliant content related to OTB future that we've been doing this week, go to the podcast section on the OTB app or wherever you get your pods or check out our YouTube page. You can also search on social media under the hashtag OTB future.
1: Saturday panel on Off The Ball.
0: OTB AM. With Gillette, we don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. The OTB Podcast Network, with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart
1: with 100% natural, protein-powered chicken bites.